0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Our welcome at Lake Geek is Live. It is Tuesday night, August 24th, the year of our Lord 2021. Had to be at the computer as we come on air. A lot of freak out in the control room. A few minutes late, one of the blessings of working on this medium is you can really just start whenever you want to. So if the gremlins, if the gerbils that are running on the wheels that control the generators that power our studio, if they're out to lunch, we can just start at 7.17. And you'll hang around as you've done. So thank you for that. We got a jam-packed show, even though we're starting a little bit late. And if you're listening to the podcast tomorrow, you don't even know what I'm talking about. We have an alliance. Yes, we have an alliance. In this post-alliance world, How should we view college football? That's the question on everyone's mind tonight. Oh, side note, what is an alliance? You and I will discuss freely. The JP poll will debut tonight, about 2.30 in the afternoon. I said, Jesse, you ready to make a poll? He said, what poll? JP poll. What's a JP poll? Well, it's kind of like the alliance. Just wait and see. So the JP poll is debuting tonight. I'm also going to talk about what I can't wait for. And I was talking to a lot of you guys today about what you can't wait for. Now, a lot of you look forward to different things, different aspects of your life, different aspects of college football. I got some things that always come to my mind when I think college football Saturday in the fall. And so I'm going to share those and you can feel free to just lose yourself and think right along with me. All that plus there's a really good feature on 247sports.com right now about the sleeper players that came out of the transfer portal And Some of the names you've heard of, but I think a lot of the names you either haven't heard of or you forgot about, and a couple of them are probably going to impact and maybe even decide games in week one and week zero for that matter with one of them, so make sure you're paying attention. Hey, congratulations to us and congratulations to you for making me able to congratulate ourselves. We went over 60,000 subs on the YouTube channel today, which is notable. Because Colin, wasn't it March? It was March last year where we started the channel cold. And then they threw a pandemic at us and we didn't know if we were gonna even get a football season. So 60,000 subs is phenomenal. Having said that, 71% of our, of our viewers still aren't subbed. So go ahead, click it. It's free. Keep the show free. It is free. Keyword, free. Also, there were some things that were leaked yesterday on my Instagram and Twitter pages, channels, whatever you wanna call those. And there are going to be some more things coming, maybe even tomorrow. I'm going to let you know what it is at the end of the show. You can tell me when you want me to release it. I'm so happy I can't stop smiling, which is a good Toby Keith and Sting song from back in the day, by the way. But you can let me know at Late Kick Josh. uh, We got some stuff. We got a lot of stuffs that we have to release. I've been teasing. It feels like forever. It's time to release some stuff now. Uh, So with that in mind, I'm going to dive into the show. And I want to tell you, we were going to do some grand season previews tonight, But because the whole alliance showed up and crashed the party, I'm gonna do our grand season previews a little bit differently this year anyway, but on the Late Kick Extra podcast, the Thursday morning pod. So 48 hours from now. I'm gonna start the season previews there. They will continue on Late Kick Live Thursday night. So just make sure you're tuning in to all forms of the show. And make sure, by the way, you're subscribed as you do it. Okay, so that's a lot of housekeeping. But now it's time to dive into the show because we got a jam-packed show. We got football this weekend, by the way, and we got an entire country playing football next weekend. But before we talk about these silly games on the field, how dare us, we have to talk about bureaucratic administrative odds and ends. The alliance era has begun. Yes, the alliance era is upon us. The ACC, the Pac-12, the Big Ten today, they decided to tell you that they have essentially locked arms in very much a red rover fashion and all of a sudden here we are we are now in a post alliance world flawlessly executed from a marketing perspective a lot of people are banging on this thing but it was flawlessly it was flawlessly executed from at least a marketing perspective think about this you had the rumors you always want the rumors to build a little sizzle out there then you had the sources and then you had the actual reports then you had a firm date and then you had a catchy name attached to it. It's the alliance, after all. And you owned an entire news cycle, which was the aim to essentially tell people we're mad at the SEC and we're not going to take it lying down. And so now we have an alliance. And that's all well and good. But the problem with forming an alliance is eventually, as you're bragging about it, some little kid's going to walk up and tug on your shoulder and say, hey, buddy, um, what is an alliance? Well, what is an alliance? And then you have to look around and you have to, almost in disgust, look back at that kid and go all Potter Stewart on him, who was a Supreme Court justice back in the 60s, who had to define what pornography was in front of a lot of people. And he, much the same way I would do, said, I don't owe you people a definition for what pornography is. You're not drawing me down that rabbit hole, even in the 60s. Potter Stewart knew how deadly one wrong soundbite could be if it was miscontextualized. So Potter Stewart said, I'm not defining porn for you people. I know it when I see it. And that's what you got to do sometimes. You just got to look at the little kid and say, I don't owe you an explanation and I don't owe you a definition for what the alliance is. The alliance is like porn, little kid. You'll know it when you see it. And right now, to give you an idea of how informal this whole thing is, I have a quote here. This is from newly minted Pac-12 commissioner, Mr. K. Uh, I'm still working on the pronunciation of the last name. Fresh from the mouth of the Pac-12 commissioner, there is no signed contract. There's an agreement among three gentlemen and a commitment from 41 presidents, chancellors, and 41 athletic directors to do what we say we're gonna do. I, I don't know. I don't really know what to make of it. I do know this director Colin and I went into our building yesterday and Colin, correct me if I'm wrong. We had to fill out three different forms to get in the building. These guys just entered into what appears to be a multi-conference alliance that requires dozens and dozens and dozens of people to be on the same page. Some of whom disagreed on, Oh, I don't know if we should play football or not last year. And they essentially just slapped each other on the back, shook hands and said, all right, let's go to lunch. We're done for the day fascinating occurrence here. Just a fascinating occurrence. Now, does this equal some schedule freeze out? Because that's really part one of two parts of the name of this game. We have to figure out how to schedule in such a manner. If we are the Pac-12, or we are the Big Ten, or we are the ACC, that we build enough inventory on the shelves to make us an attractive enough product to where when it comes time to renegotiate TV deals, yada, 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 you know that song and dance. I don't even try and pretend like I know all that world because I don't. But the other part, being the eternal optimist that I am, that I'm kind of here for, is anything that kicks the can down on the road on this playoff expansion, you know you've got my full endorsement on. And anything that kicks the can down the road on ESPN sinking its teeth even further into the death grip that it has had so far on the college football playoff itself, I'm all for. Now, there are a lot of moving parts here And I know that a lot of folks want definitives. They want finality in a take. A lot of you hit me up today and said, I want your full opinion on this. I'm giving you my full opinion. My opinion is, I don't think anyone knows how this ends, up to and including the decision makers. And in some cases, these folks don't even know what the next chapter is gonna bring. College football, here's what I do know. I'll give you one definitive opinion here. College football is at its absolute lamest when old guys who couldn't figure out how to buckle a chin strap if their lives depended on it are keeping me and you and players from participating in big-time out-of-conference matchups because they're salty with each other. That's when college football is the lamest. And that, if no one steps up and you know, grabs the microphone and says, I'm in charge now, like those Somali pirates, if we don't have any Somali pirates in the room to take charge in college football, then that's where you're headed. And remember, as much as i 'm a glass half full kind of guy eternal optimist sort, remember the um what did I call it the emergency nightmare vision scenario that I presented to you a couple of months ago when all this first started, and that was you 're not headed for super conferences; you could just assume be headed for a couple of major divisions in college football, one of which, in this hypothetical world, would be whatever the s e c ends up becoming, and then the other is just whatever this alliance is and Their two champions meet for a national championship game at the end of the year. That is not currently what anyone plans on. But here's the problem. When you ask the folks who have their hands on the wheel where you're going, and they look at you and say, I don't really know, then everything's on the table. So right now, the Pac-12 commissioner and the Big Ten commissioner, the ACC commissioner, poor Bob Bowlesby's just hanging out in the corner waiting on a seat to open. And you got Greg Sankey here, who is kind of persona non grata at the moment, They don't know where this is going. I can tell you what Greg Sankey did. Greg Sankey understands I can't see around the corner, but maybe I'm a few feet off the ground higher than my colleagues, so maybe I got a little bit of leverage first off and maybe a little bit of better perspective. They're just trying to best position themselves. Don't listen for a second to this garbage about mutually shared academic values. These people are the same crew. I was reading Dan Wetzel earlier. He was dead on the money. These are the same folks who added Rutgers to the Big Ten and added Maryland to the Big Ten. And this is not to poo-poo the academic prestige of those universities, but everyone understands why those universities were added. And by the way, if we're in it for the kid, if we're in it for the student portion of the student athlete, how come the students at Oklahoma State don't matter to you? How come the students at Kansas State don't matter to you? So if you would just look me in the eye and tell me, it's about money and we're a little aggravated, the SEC is going to have more of it than us, I'd be a whole lot better off. I'd respect you a whole lot more. I learned everything I need to know about alliances from Supreme Court hearings on pornography in the 60s. Fun time, Colin. Remind me to tell you about my, um, my adventures in the 60s after the show. So as it pertains to matters on the field, let's talk about rankings. Have we done a segment on the JP poll? No, we have not. But have we done a segment on the AP poll? Also, no, we have not. I don't like to rank teams until we have a lot of intel from fall camps. Now I don't rank teams. I guess I rate teams, and I do it much of the same way that a Vegas odds maker would or a handicapper would. I don't have much time for a rankings system the way you've classically understood it in college football. So I say all that to say, Colin, here's where you can do your endpoint. The JP poll is set to be unveiled in 3, 2, 1 right now. What is the JP poll? Well, it is just that. It is our own in-house rating system. Now, you guys who hop aboard the Ramen Noodle Express and you bet the picks that we hand out in the fall, which is certainly not your obligation, but it is your choice, you guys already know what this is. And this is directly tied into the proprietary model that we have that we use in-house that we don't publicize, by the way. Could make a lot of money off of it, but we don't publicize it. And I'm kind of showing you the back door into that system because we can take that system and spit out our own rating system. So what I had Jesse do, and I'm not gonna show you a top 25 more than once this year, maybe a top 10 or 15, but I'm gonna show you our full top 25. This is not gonna take forever. I'm not gonna go five minutes per team, but I wanted to run through it in reverse order because there are some teams, there's one team on here, I've got like 15 spots higher than the AP does. There are several that I'm more than double digits difference in than the AP. So let's just go for fun for just a second from 25 to one here. Our 25 through 21, I'm going in reverse order, is uh, Indiana, 25. That is eight spots lower than the AP has the Hoosiers. Uh, Iowa, likewise, I've got it 24. The AP has them up in the high teens. The Minnesota Golden Gophers, our model has ranked 23rd. The AP not only does not have Minnesota ranked, they don't even have them in the section that received votes. The gopher hate is on full display here. Keep in mind, they open at home against Ohio State. We expect that game to just flat out be more competitive, I guess, than our friends in the AP, but that's fine. The Texas Longhorns are at 22. How about USC? Uh, Both Texas and USC, our model is a little bit lower on than the AP by five or six spots, let's say. Now we get into the top 20. The Washington Huskies, I have all the way down. I say all the way down at 20. That's relative again to the AP. Now here's where it starts getting a little saucy to me. TCU we have at 19. I think the AP has them outside the top 25 entirely. So this is another team just like Minnesota that our model has ranked that the AP does not have ranked at all. Cincinnati we are full 10 spots lower on than the AP is. Utah at 17. I'm seven spots higher on than the AP. Miami, we're kind of thinking along the same lines. We got the Hurricanes at 16. I think the AP has them at 14. Now we get into the top 15. Let's keep it in the sunshine state though. We got the Florida Gators at number 15, which is I think a couple of spots off in the lower category from what the AP had. This is probably one I'll get a little pushback on. I can assure you. I'm not trying to get headlines by putting Ole Miss at number 14. This is what our model spits out. That's what I'm showing you. So Ole Miss, I've got at number 14. I want to say the AP has them at about 24th or maybe even unranked. I think the AP has them unranked. So that's three teams so far that I got ranked, including one down in the top 15, that the AP has no time for. I care about you guys at Ole Miss more than the Associated Press writers of America do. Could they find Oxford on a map? I can Let's go to number 13. That's where Notre Dame is. We do not have the Fighting Irish inside the top 10, unlike the AP. That's all right. 13's still very respectable. Uh, North Carolina at number 12. I think the AP has them 10. So we're just a smidge, just a smidge lower on the Tar Heels to start the year than the AP. Oregon is at number 11, which I think mirrors what the AP has. Let us dive head first, you and I, into the top 10. The LSU Tigers. How about Ed Orgeron? A miraculous climb up into the preseason JP poll top 10, six spots higher than the AP has them. And that trend continues at number nine. I got Penn State all the way inside the top 10. AP has him at number 19. Very high on this team. I spoke about them at length the other night. I think there are a lot of facets of that team that are ready to go, that are ready to play top 10 or maybe even top six or seven caliber football. Sean Clifford, if you're watching, please have a good year, buddy please come through. You know, Mike Yuricich, if you're watching, call it the right way, scheme it the right way. Please make us look smart here. We got Wisconsin at number eight. AP does not have the Badgers as a top 10 team. We do. There is a cutoff, and I want to note this, there is a cutoff between number seven and number eight. There is a pretty sizable several point gap in our model between Wisconsin and Texas A&M. It's important to note where that cutoff is. Normally it's around number two or number three. I'll circle back to that in a second. Texas A&M is our number seven team. Iowa State is our number six team. We are ranked number six in my poll. Yes, the Cyclones. And now into the top five. As my chair rattles uncontrollably here. The Georgia Bulldogs are number five. Here's why it's so boring, because I didn't know this. Colin, did you know the top five in the JP poll mirror the AP? Woof. Did you see this in in the chat, by the way? No wonder Josh's contract isn't being renewed by 20. Did I get fired, Colin? Someone said my contract didn't get renewed in the live chat. Jess, someone please check on that, because there's no sense in finishing the show if I'm fired. So anyway, Georgia's number five, Ohio State four, as you see, Clemson three, Oklahoma two, Alabama one. Now what I wanted to come back and talk to you about for just a second if I'm still employed here, of course, is normally there is a sizable difference. There is a a very defined tier one. And there is a tier one here, but normally it's about two or three teams deep, and then there's a drop-off, and then there's another tier two that's about four or five teams, and then there's a third drop-off. That's just kind of the way college football has been tiering itself as of late. And there still is that. There is some separation by a few points from the Alabamas, Oklahoma's, Clemson's, and Ohio State's of the world, there are a few points drop off, I think two or three for us there, which is pretty sizable for a reference point, but there is not a massive 10 point drop off between those teams and Texas a and I think right at 10, right at 10 and a half or 11 points is the gap that our model has right now, neutral field between A&M and Alabama. Important to note because those two teams play and it's not on a neutral field and it's an eight o'clock Eastern time kickoff when they play in week six. What does that mean? Maybe nothing. But also what it could mean is a lot more competitive balance at the top of this sport. Normally, I was looking at our buddy Parker over at Stats of War on Twitter, who himself has taken a dive into the video world. So congratulations there. I was looking at him talk earlier and he said, how many teams can win the national championship this year? And normally that answer is like two or three. I'm a much bigger fan of how many teams can win conference titles and then if you want to draw me into the how many teams can make the playoff discussion I'll do that too. I think the answer is a lot deeper than 4 teams or 5 teams. Iowa State can do this. Texas A&M can do this. Wisconsin, Penn State, LSU, Oregon, North Carolina, Notre Dame, if they were in a conference, all of these teams theoretically according to our model, if they were to have an A minus or better scenario for a season play out, if the Bob plays, the bounce of ball plays went their way, if they were plus turnovers in the right game, those are all potential playoff teams. So I just think the potential playoff field is a little bit deeper, even if the potential championship field is the same three or four teams. So that in and of itself is something to be very excited about. Here's a little recap here. The only reason that I really had Jesse make this graphic is so I can, what what is it? Uh, c- command shift four, screenshot this thing and put it on Twitter later. So uh, thank you though. But that is our top 14. It's Bama one, it's Ole Miss 14 and everything in between you see there. We will update this every week. Now I'm not going to tell you right now if I'm going to dedicate a whole segment per show to that because it's a busy week when we get into game weeks, but at the very least We'll be putting that on the social channels every week. Because I know some of you do your own handicapping. You do your own odds-making. And I like to give our reference point and our model's perspective. And I'll put an actual raw percentage point. I'll put a rating out next to those teams numerically during the season. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever. Or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. All right. Uh, there is, there is a topic that I wanted to come back to that was red hot on this show about three months ago. The transfer portal was something everyone was talking about. I could not believe it. That was when NIL and the transfer portal were both being talked about. And you guys didn't care about NIL. So we stopped doing NIL videos, but you could not get enough transfer portal. And so we kept doing portal videos. Well, obviously the time has come and gone, for kids to enter the transfer portal and be eligible this season. So we had not done many transfer portal videos. But now that some of you have come back because you chose, which is your God-given right, to acknowledge or even celebrate an off-season, now you're back. And some kids are in different uniforms than they were when you walked away from the college football table to go do whatever it was you were doing in the other room. But now you're back, and I need to tell you, and there's some names here that we haven't discussed at all, there were some big transfer portal moves. And these are not depth providers. These are names that are going to impact games this fall. If you're in fantasy, if you're betting on this stuff, if you just want to be informed as a viewer, these are some names you need to know. A couple of them are high profile. Several more of them are what you would label sleepers. So let's start with Ty Chandler, who is an official adopted member of Pate State University, which is going to be a lot of fun to talk about later this week. I hope I've been clear enough there. My feelings on Ty Chandler are well-known. We only adopt a few players a year. He is one of them. So he is one of ours. He is one of us. We will be openly rooting for Ty Chandler. I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time rehashing what I've already said about him. I think he's a perfect fit for the offense. It's the perfect time for him to be in this offense. And I've gotten some pushback on the Ty Chandler hype, I guess for lack of a better term, that we contributed to on this show I'm excited for Ty Chandler at North Carolina, number one, because they're a contender over there. Number two, because he's walking into a very advantageous situation, losing a couple of thousand yard rushers. But number three, the pushback I've gotten on Chandler is folks who watched him at Tennessee and said, "Mm, I don't know, he just never put it all together. You know, He was never a complete running back. Hey, let me remind you of something. That was a Jim Cheney, Jeremy Pruitt led offense up there. So you're going to have to forgive me if I still have some hope for a very talented guy all of a sudden going from that nightmare, relatively speaking, to Phil Longo's offense, where they speak fluent offense in Chapel Hill. They, it, was, it was alphabet soup in Knoxville. Colin, you'll back me up on that. Yes, he will. So Ty Chandler goes from Tennessee to North Carolina. That's one of the most important players in the ACC this year. But maybe you heard about that name. Maybe you've also heard about this next name, Jamison Williams. Let me give you a little cheat sheet. If you don't watch Alabama football on the regular, when Nick Saban has a nickname for you, before you've played a down for him, you're going to heavily factor into the upcoming season. So far, I've heard him do it about Jamison Williams, street name J-Mo now, and Kool-Aid, JaQuincy McKinstry. Now, you can have a nickname. Whether Saban will use it or not usually dictates how happy he is with you. So Jamison Williams already in nickname territory, and he had not played a down yet. As we talked about the other night, when Jamison Williams came over and Henry Toa Toa came over, we actually had folks in the inbox. I had folks up to and including my friends who have access to the number of the iJosh saying, oh great, Henry Toa Toa is going to go ride the bench there. Oh great, Jamison Williams wasn't even going to factor in heavily for Ohio State like he's going to factor in for Alabama. Starter, starter. Nickname for one of them actually. So we're good there. Jameson Williams can fly. They wanted speed. That's what they were looking for at Bama. I mean, all these receivers who have come through there, they didn't have to be 6'3", 6'4", Julio Jones freaks of nature because they can fly. You can't nail them to the wall. They're like that little square of jello. And they, they still have that, but a lot of the guys they brought in are young now, and they wanted to maybe supplement some of this incredible talent that they've lost. Jameson Williams fits that. And he's already been a mainstay running with the one, so he's going to be a day one starter for them. But also, John Mechie, who is a very, very good receiver for Alabama and a good safety if you really want him to be. So Mechie would have played safety a decade ago for Alabama. I mean, if you don't believe me, ask Florida. Have they peeled that kid off the field yet that he decapitated? That was an incredible hit. One of the best hits I saw last year was from a wide receiver at Alabama who still plays there. But Mechie's had some injury concerns of his own, and that's what's made Jamison Williams' emergence in fall camp even more important for them. So you've got Mechie having injury concerns in the back, you know, the very periphery of the conversation. And then a lot of the guys they're gonna count on are young and may not be ready week one, week two, like they will week nine, week 10. We're still buying JoJo Earl stock. We're still buying a Jai Hall stock. I'll even take some Ja'Cory Brooks stock. I'm just saying, I don't know if I'm taking that stock in week one. Earl, maybe. The others, I don't know. Here's a name that I don't think we've spoken about. Maybe once on the entire show the entire summer. But it's a name you need to know because you don't even have to wait until next Saturday for this guy's skill to be on display. And if you tell me you watched him play at Montana, I'm going to call you a liar. I don't think you did. Samori Torre is a wide receiver. You hadn't seen him play in a couple of years, even if you do watch Grizzly football, because they didn't play last year. So the last time you saw him, 6'3", 190 pounds, all FCS wide receiver, was 2019. And then they had their season canceled and they moved it to the spring. But by the time they started, they looked around and he was nowhere to be found because he was in camp with Nebraska. Blew up in the spring. This is a guy who has played very, very high-level football but he's played it off the national radar. Well, now he's coming to Nebraska. Mind you, they play week zero. They got a game this Saturday against Illinois. There's a disproportionate amount of attention on that game. And unfortunately, there will be a disproportionate amount of money on that game, even though my advice to you has been and always will be, if you wouldn't bet on it in week 10, don't be betting on it in week zero. I might as well have whispered that because a lot of you did not hear that. This is a big-time receiver. What you need to know about Nebraska's offense is the last two years, one of which was with Wandale Morris, who just transferred out, their leading receiver was in the slot. That's where they're putting him. Now, he's 6'3". Most of the time, you're used to a 5'10 guy in the slot, but he's perfectly at home there. He is very, very adept. I mean, this is a guy who's very versatile, and I think that by about quarter three of this week zero game, he'll probably have six or seven catches, and he'll be wowing folks, and then all of a sudden, people will say, Hey, quickly, quickly, I got a deadline to meet tonight. Find out where this kid came from. And then the editor is going to say, you should have watched late kick, which is exactly what they should say. 6'3", 190, just a really, really good receiver. Moving on and staying at the receiver position, another name that you need to know and another name that may have gotten lost in all the shuffle of Jamison Williams leaving Ohio State for Alabama. Mookie Cooper also left Ohio State, but he didn't go to Bama. He went to Missouri and that's where he's from, St. Louis, Missouri. This was a home state guy. He was a very, very highly rated four-star wide receiver, wanted to see if he could cut it at Ohio State. It was too deep there. There is no shame in that, and he's a very, very good player. He can fly to, just like Jamison Williams, the amount of speed that Ohio State willingly let transfer out of the wide receiver room could anchor several legs of Olympic relay races insane depth. They still have, even with these two guys gone at wide receiver. But Mookie Cooper went back home, and he's going to play for Missouri. Now, a couple of things to note here. He's been banged up, and he's questionable as of last check. He's questionable for, I think, their opener, but he'll be back. He's got a foot injury, I want to say, a lower extremity injury. He'll be back. When he is, he's going to be a very, very dynamic presence for them, And you never know how to quantify this stuff. Like, I am someone who probably is a little bit higher on Missouri this year than, let's say, the general college football public. But it's easy to say that in the abstract. How do you nail it down? Who are they going to beat that the public doesn't expect them to beat? Well, I don't know, uh, because that's not the way that I actually define someone's season. But if they do pull that off, or if they're beating teams they're supposed to beat in a more impressive manner early in the year, then this guy could be one of the reasons why. Because if you were to ask an odds maker, this is sometimes where I differ from Vegas. If you were to ask an odds maker, oh, Missouri got Mookie Cooper, man. Uh, So now what are they worth? They'd tell you he's worth a quarter of a point. I mean, they wouldn't even dent a line. They wouldn't even, they wouldn't think about moving a line, whether he's going to play or not going to play. But yet he's the kind of guy who could go off for three touchdowns in a game. So what kind of impact did he have on the game? What otherwise would Missouri have done without those three touchdowns? Would they have replaced them with three other touchdowns? You never know how that plays out. I get why it works that way, but you never know what he's worth in one game. So Mookie Cooper is one to watch at Missouri. And then this is one that's probably the most crazy. If you were to talk to your, let's say your dad or your grandpa, and you were to tell them in 1985 or 95, or even as recently as 2005, what was going to be happening in college football circa 2021. Dare Rosenthal was the left tackle at LSU. In fact, I would venture to think if you went into your closest preview magazine and you opened it, you'd probably see Dare Rosenthal's name lift. I can't remember when this happened. He's probably listed as LSU starting left tackle in some preview magazines. Well, he's not. He's going to be playing for Kentucky. And so imagine telling your younger self, maybe depending on how old you are, maybe telling your dad in 1995 or whenever, there's going to come a day where starting left tackles are just casually leaving one SEC program and landing in another SEC program. They're playing immediately, and there's going to be kind of a collective yawn. It's not even going to be a big deal. That's going to be the culture. Uh, well, they would tell you, number one, that ain't the way Hank done it. That ain't the way college football should work. That ain't the way it used to work. Well, that's the way it's going to be working. But this is a, a plug and play starter. And so LSU's still trying to figure out how to replace them down there, but also What you need to know about this as it impacts Kentucky is Darian Kennard was going to shift from right tackle to left tackle for them. And they were very, very out front about that. And all of a sudden, well, now we got a franchise plug and play left tackle. We can just keep our bookends there. And that is critically important because it is the blind side of a brand new quarterback in Will Levis that did not get the benefit of having you know, several years into the Kentucky program. Oh, and by the way, even if he did, it's irrelevant because they're installing a new offense. So there's a lot of new up there. Boy, it sure does help, even though this piece in and of himself is new, to be able to say, all right, well, we got left tackle taken care of. Don't have to worry about that. And so, yeah, those are several transfer portal big-time names that you need to know. Don't be caught by surprise when Moogie Cooper goes off against someone mid-season from Missouri, don't be surprised when Miami is watching Jamison Williams run by their secondary in week one because we're trying to warn you now. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Let's do something a little bit different to end the show tonight, shall we? Really, you guys who are watching live, I really appreciate you. I think I had a poison ivy on my elbow. I really appreciate you being tuned in. We started 17 minutes late, if you're watching the replay, and our numbers just like kept growing even though we were starting late. Dedication. Perseverance. You have all the characteristics that make our audience the best audience in the world. So here's what I want to ask you. I kind of asked on Twitter the other day, but I want to ask you directly, what are you most looking forward to this college football season? It could be anything. It could be a certain game. It could be watching a player. It could be hanging out with a buddy that you otherwise don't hang out with because you guys have absolutely nothing in common other than Tennessee football. It could be anything. Open ended question. You fill in the blank. I'm going to give you some things I'm looking forward to. I started this list thinking it was going to be comprehensive today, and I had to leave like 37 things on the cutting room floor, which in all likelihood means we're going to continue this Thursday and maybe even Sunday. But man, some of the things I'm looking forward to a very, very small dose of it here. I'm looking forward to seeing the length and size of Clemson's wide receiver core all those guys are 6'3", 6'4". I'm getting very, very excited about the potential of that offense. I'm looking forward to seeing them against Georgia, especially against a a younger secondary, maybe a more unproven secondary, and looking after a half of football. Are we looking at Clemson and saying, do they look like 2018? Who's going to stop them? We always come out of week one saying that about someone who was in a tight point spread game, and they end up blowing it open and saying, who's going to beat them? I'm looking forward to seeing, if that is the Clemson Tigers, I'm looking forward to seeing Derek King get another shot. We saw him laying on the field, wincing in pain in a bowl game. I don't think anyone at that moment looked at week one against Alabama and said, oh, he'll be ready. He'll be good to go by then. And so he's worked his tail off Derek King has, and he's gotten himself in position where he's got the full trust and confidence of his entire coaching staff and offense. And so they're going to get to play against Alabama. If they beat them, it's the biggest story in the early portion of college football. If they lose, but it's competitive, you still got Derek King and the Miami Hurricanes with a chance to turn that division race in the ACC on its ear. I'm looking forward to seeing that. I absolutely cannot wait to see North Carolina potentially be able to turn the ACC in its entirety on its ear. Everyone expects North Carolina to be good this year. Everyone expects a solid effort out of them. Everyone's got them ranked somewhere between 8 and 18, let's say. But no one's predicting them to win the ACC. But they got a shot to do it. They're going to be in the conversation for the first time. They've got, obviously, the offensive prowess. But for the first time, theoretically, they have the rotational and depth aspect of their defensive front that you need to compete in games like that, in settings like that. I cannot wait to watch North Carolina this year. I cannot wait to walk through, well, how should I put that? I'll just say it. I cannot wait to walk through home tailgate atmospheres this year and count how many different smells I can recognize. When you go to LSU, it's crazy. It's like a rainforest of smell. When you go to some of these big time venues, the smells outside are almost enough to fill you up, even though you actually haven't put any food in your mouth. And one of the added benefits is When we walk through tailgate atmospheres, like I walk through LSU, I get 10 different meals put in my face. You could eat forever down there and they don't even have to know you. But when they recognize you, that's all the better. I was talking to some of our friends at North Carolina today and they said, just let us know, you know, just let us know when you'll be in town don't have to worry about anything else. Just let us know when you'll be here. Here's the parking lot we tailgate in. Here's what time we get there. All the pertinent details will be sent from our people to your people. It is so great walking through those tailgate atmospheres, the smells, the sights, the sounds, the music. Oh, and by the way, the actual scene itself being back, I can't wait to see that. I cannot wait to see stadiums start to fill up if you do the time lapse and you normally watch them fill up and we all got used to seeing full stadiums and then you didn't get them last year, man, I can't wait to watch that time lapse happen in real time of stadiums filling back up. If you could ever stand on the field at a venue like Tiger Stadium that we're watching right now, if you could be on the venue when those places start to fill up and then teams come out of the tunnel for warm-ups that's when you get your first sense of what kind of crowd you have on your hands that day because you get a little bit of a roar that is sustained for a second when the home team comes out for warmups. And so if it's a yawn and a you know a little golf clap, this is gonna be a sleeper, but sometimes it's not. And I think this year, a lot of times it won't be. Watching that stadium full up past 25%, past 50%, past 75%, and finally seeing a full house again, cannot wait for that. I can't wait to be standing in a tunnel or standing outside a gate and for the first time to hear off in the distance the faint sound of a police siren and then two police sirens and then 10 of them. Because that's the sound of state troopers and behind them are about five or six charter buses and you got Alabama pulling in or you got Texas A&M, you got USC pulling in. That scene is awesome. And it's made even more awesome when you've got a sea of humanity that has to part for those state troopers and those buses to come through. But from our point of view, that is the last calm before the storm. Once those sirens get louder, you know that it's going to be sensory overload, pedal all the way to the floor for the next seven or eight hours until they turn the lights out in that stadium long after the games ended, long after the press conference has ended, long after the last food has been taken out of the press box before you got back up there in time. That I cannot wait to see. I can't wait to be driving down the interstate and see lines of cars for miles and miles. Traffic at college football games, I'm gonna try and keep this promise, is something that I will not be complaining about this year. Because I'll tell you what was very eerie. I, didn't even, I, did, I chose not to go to games last year uh, because we didn't have access to the players, first off. We couldn't have field access, second off. And thirdly, it was just weird. I was talking to some of our team site guys who cover the games every week, I think it was Travis Ryer for Bama Online who told me he went to the LSU-Bama game and left his hotel and just drove through town, and it was a game day in Baton Rouge, Bama in town, and he said, you wouldn't have even known there was a football game happening until you got right up to the stadium because it was, it was that uncrowded, relatively speaking. No more of that. Give me, the, give me the crowds. Give me the traffic. Give me the gridlock. Give me the horn honking you give me all that. If it means we get all that atmosphere back, you give me all that. I can't wait to be on the interstate and start betting over under amount of car tags and amount of window flags I'm going to see. You don't have to wait to get to game day or wait to get to the gate or wait for kickoff to start getting some action on stuff. You absolutely, if you're anywhere in the vicinity of a major college football game, are going to see car flags all over the place. And one of my favorite Hallmark traditions on the road is to have some action on how many car flags of certain teams we're going to see. I mean, I've made a lot of money that way. I've lost my fair share of money that way. And if you want some prop bets on whether you can hit the over-under on amounts of profanity you're going to see on bumper stickers, that's always a plus too. I cannot wait to see the increased level of experience on these rosters in college football this year and what it means we put out the numbers. I think it was Bill Connolly that put them out as part of his S&P Plus release the other day. Whatever the average returning experience number is for a college football team at this level, it's around 64%. He put out the conference averages and all of them are way, way above 64. The closest one was 68. Some of them are in the 70s and 80s. Some of them have their entire teams virtually returning. What does that mean? I got my theory. I think it means lower scoring games. I think it means a higher level of football being played. I just think it means lower margin for error for the top rated teams. But it could mean anything. It could mean that it's a net benefit to no one and the cream rises just as it always has. But nonetheless, I can't wait to see how that plays out. I can't wait for week one to where we see what kind of insane upset gets thrown out. I mean, I remember, you know, last year, it wasn't a huge upset, but watching Louisiana just go into Ames, Iowa and handle Iowa State the eventual Fiesta Bowl champion, Iowa State. But there have been some much crazier upsets than that. You know, the App State over Michigan's of the world. Is that coming? You got a lot of experience. So you got a lot of staffs out there who have been able to tinker with this and specialize game plan that. How many? Or if we even have one, where is that huge upset coming? I've never met someone that possesses the skill to find me that upset. I've met a lot of folks who lose their you-know-what just like they do in March Madness trying to find where that 16 or 15 over a one or two is, but no one's got any skill in actually finding me the upset. I'll put it out there now, actually. You guys wanna tell me where the biggest upset in America's coming week one? If you tell me accurately, I may have a little something for you, which we will be talking about more later this week. Those are just a few things I'm looking forward to this year. Those are a few things I can't wait to see. I can tell you I have a whole list in front of me that I have not even close to enough time to get to. So I'm going to be continuing this because there are several more things, but I want to get your opinions too. You'll probably have better ones than I do. What can you not wait for this college football season? Um, So that's a wrap for the show, but now I got to talk to you about something before we go off. Someone asked me, as I was recording the Late Kick Extra podcast today, available every Tuesday and Thursday morning, exclusively in the podcast feed, you get the replay of this show but you do not get the extra podcast unless you're on the podcast feed. So find it wherever you get your podcasts. Someone asked me though, it's it's all mailbag on Tuesday and Thursday. Someone submitted a question and said, what is all this nonsense you keep talking about? That's my word, not theirs. They were a lot nicer than that. But what is all this nonsense? I've been teasing forward to this thing coming and that thing coming and we're gonna have all this stuff happening. Well, what is it? And where is it? The season's about to start. Where is it? Great point. I embellished a little bit. Great point. Uh, Well, so I'll give you one. Uh, This is one of several. The Pate State mascot is ready. The logos are ready. As of this afternoon, they are ready. I'm very happy with them. We crowdsourced this. As you know, I took ideas from you and I had my own ideas, but you guys trumped my ideas with your ideas. And so I took your ideas, the best of them, and I sent them to one of our own logo folks. Because as you know, I have an army of you guys that help me out with all sorts of things, including research, but also including graphics, animation, logo design. Who knows, down the road, maybe merchandise. Imagine a world where we can sell our own t shirts. So, anyway, it's done. And I may very well just drop it tomorrow morning on you. Make sure you're following on Twitter and Instagram at Late Kick Josh but we're not just making some random logo and stopping. Now, I'm not saying I'm opening an actual university, but there are a lot of fun things that we're gonna do with this. Also, this Sunday and every Sunday after that for the rest of the season, I will be telling you which city we're gonna be in the following weekend. I'll be on the road every weekend, either by car or by plane. I'll be on the road every weekend. And we'll be somewhere, but I'm not letting you know till Sunday. Week one, probably pretty easy to figure out. But after that, I'm gonna throw you some curveballs. And we will let you know, and we're calling that entire thing the Late Kick Renaissance Tour, because as I just read you, in a lot of instances, it's going to be very much a renaissance year in college football. So why not theme it? Those are two little tidbits. Uh, there are some giant announcements coming on this show, too. So just hang tight. It's all, what, Colin, in the next week or two? I mean, it's got to be, right? So thank you so much, because all of this stuff made possible by you Our numbers made possible by you. We get attention from management around here because of those numbers that are you. So thank you so much. The last thing I ask is to do basically what you're already doing. Continue to share this show all over the place and continue to tell everyone you know about it. And those of you who are bolder than the rest, steal five phones from your friends and neighbors and aunts and uncles. Subscribe. Five-star reviews. You know the drill. I don't think legally I'm allowed to instruct you how to do that. But thank you so much. So thank you for hanging around, too, for the late start tonight. For Director Colin, for our entire crew in Connecticut who finally got things figured out, an engineer I am not, a mere host who talks for a living I am, I'm Josh Bate. Have yourselves a great rest of your evening. God bless. God bless.